0: So, okay. So yeah, Tuesday, you get the pizza Tuesday. It's sitting on the counter. You're like one more slice. Oh, I ate like two thirds right now. I'm really full. Are you like looking for like that last piece before bed? Or are you like, this goes in the fridge? Oh, for me,
1: it's just forgetting to put it away. It's how oh, I ate. And then I'm watching TV and I forgot to put the pizza away. I find it an hour later. I put it away. That's, that's what it is.
2: Yeah. See, for us, it's, it, it, and by us, I'm really referring to my wife. It's it's about leaving it on the counter because she believes that it's safe to do so for extended periods of time, so that you can have like some walking snacks as you walk <laughs> past it. So you
0: can, it. The other thing is, it's but is it is it better for, for the pizza for though? hours? I feel like it dries out on the counter
1: faster than it does in the fridge. Definitely not true. You don't you don't agree with that? You no, know, fridges outside of the outside of the drawers dry everything out. So. Okay. Because of the circulation of the air, yeah. So you that the, unless you wrap it up in foil or something like that. If you put it well, in, a, yeah,
0: you got to keep it on the
1: foil. Why put it in a box? I, I, a lot of times, I just throw the pizza in there in a box. That's not that's not doing anything for air circulation. Yeah, Dave.
0: You mean yeah? it's, you mean it's not preventing? It's not it.
1: preventing it, correct?
0: Yeah, I mean it's he, it's hesitating
1: it for hours.
2: It, if it, if it weren't me, it just would never go in the fridge. It would just it would live on the counter on the countertop
1: until it was fully consumed. Yeah. Well, you, you really shouldn't do that either. I would say... <laughs> I,
0: I agree. I, I would say you start... The, okay, there's water activity in that cheese. Number
1: one, I would say there's definitely a riskier not about this, where they talk about how long you can have a piece of pizza out before you have to be worried about it. I've definitely thrown a pizza into the fridge four or five hours later after forgetting that it was there and then being like, I don't want to waste this pizza that I got. I'm going to throw it in the fridge and it's just cheese. That's fine. It's also like, it's so salty and
2: they're not organic so i think like the preservatives help a little bit
0: this is our coolest cold open yet
2: hello and welcome to episode 179 of the dive down a magic the gathering podcast focused on the latest decks trends and strategies for the casual spike my name is stanislav here in chicago and with me on the line from denver colorado it's the one and only shane beeps shane stanislav stanislav blue shirt white dots looking yeah great. it's more
0: like it's like white what is it, what are these like little symbols it's like x's and car- carrots but not like the carrots you eat and, and hmm. a skull and yeah, a yeah. water drop and a, and a daisy daisy duck on the back like you know like you remember that era of like weird Warner Brothers, like where everyone had a, it was attitude era of Warner Brothers, <laughs> sure. much like much like us last week. Taz, like yeah, like Taz, like like angry Tweety giving you a real stink eye. Mm-hmm. You you mean with like the the gangsta clothes era? Yeah, of Looney exactly. Tunes that basically yeah.
2: inspired Space Jam.
0: Yeah, like like the crisscross
1: era of Looney Tunes. Sure, I mean you couldn't avoid it, and I I have a, a family member who still kind of wears that stuff every time I see them. <laughs> It's been who is it? thirty years. Well, we don't <laughs> need to talk about that. Okay, Stanislav, I was going to comment about your hat, but
0: I feel like this—you know—it's an audio medium. I don't know who who these people are on your on your cap. Are those like aren't those baseball owners? You know, my new my new hobby is
2: collecting hats from various American law firms. Mm-hmm. Oh, so this is my this is my EBG hat. EBG mm-hmm. sponsor our our show.
1: <laughs> Get I, at us. I thought maybe they were all roles that Ted Danson had played in different different shows. <laughs> <laughs> the B is Becker. That that shows You're giving a lot away right now.
0: <laughs> Doxing Stan. Yeah,
1: Dave. Also, hello, The Godfather. You're here. I'm how here are you, somehow. How you doing? I'm okay. I'm doing good. It's a lot of chaos around my house right now. When isn't it though, really? Because I, uh, I, I I, accidentally have COVID. Oh, uh, Dave. And Oh, I, man. Sh- she owes me $5 now. Came for one of us and it was Dave. Yeah. And so we've exiled my kids to another house to be able to try to keep them from catching it. And so far that's working. Uh, I don't have a lot of symptoms. I'm hoping that I start testing negative soon. But right now things are weird. It's weird. Yeah, but but
0: yeah. everybody's doing okay, so that's good. Thank goodness for vaccines,
1: yeah. right? That's what because I'm saying. It's not hitting you too hard. I know a lot of people who are sick right now. That's all I can say. There were a couple of big events here in Chicago, but I feel like uh, I know a lot of people who are sick right now. So be careful out there, people. Now, Dave, is it true you got sick playing magic? I did. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I did, I do think so.
0: We have like photographic evidence of the exact time. That someone you transferred in Dave's mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing okay, Dave. I hope that your family is reunited soon. And uh, again, yeah, I'm just you know, reminded that you need to wear masks more often than not. I don't want to get sick.
2: And the other important reminder for Dave especially, never play Elder Dragon Highlander.
0: Yeah. I I got sick
2: playing Commander, you guys. Oh, God. It's not worth it. Can you believe that? It's just these multiplayer
1: tables, like... A game of magic should not include more than one opponent. I mean, I I, I agree. I just got talked into it by by some friends, and uh, yeah, there you are. Some friends. Stan, what are we what are we doing this week?
0: This is like the longest open we've had. We're trying to keep these episodes shorter, and we do a nine minute pre roll.
2: That's right. This week we are trying to you know take some baby steps into a new era of the dive down. Nothing too drastic, but. Long-time listeners will know that our shows go on for a long time. We're we're a two-hour podcast, usually, and it's getting harder and harder to keep that going. So, unofficially, but in the back of our heads, we're trying to expedite these shows a little bit, make them a bit shorter. We love talking to one another, and it's becoming a problem.
0: (laughs) It it really is. (laughs) I mean... I mean, we try to do too much, right? Like we want to do like a thorough breakdown on something, whether it's like an actual paper event or like even a a couple challenges and then do something worthwhile in the dive down and we get stretched pretty thin. And like, we're thinking that these episodes might be too long for some of you out there. They might be too long for us just to prepare and record every week. So what I think we decided on, and I'm just going to speak for all of us, is we're just not going to have a breakdown sometimes like if the event doesn't call for it or like the dive down topic seems
1: like it's something we want to focus more fully on. That's what we're going to be doing. Yeah. I think it's going to be more along the lines of we're going to have some episodes that are just breakdowns and we're yeah, talking about the meta. last week. Exactly. And then we're going to have some episodes where we just do a topic, but we're going to do less episodes where We try to do both a tournament and a topic. And I'm so sorry for that. But I think that I agree with what everybody's saying. Uh, we, we go deep too often. We think that these things are going to be fast, and then we talk forever about these. You may cut like a page of notes. I've got some stats for you here. I got some stats <laughs> for people who want to want to know about the total number of episodes that we've released, including bonus episodes, is 197 episodes of The Dive Down. 197. This is episode 179. In that time, we have put out 338 hours and 22 minutes of content. <laughs> so what's the average? Is that a lot or a little? The average is one hour and 43 minutes and that's including bonus episodes that actually are generally an hour so we literally have no shows no regular shows that are below 110 minutes or so looking at it they're very infrequent
0: besides the beginning when like somehow we were able to keep keep our mouths shut now and then
1: yeah i would say the regular shows are basically between 105 115 minutes which is two hours it's basically two hours, not an hour five, a hundred and five. Yeah, hundred and five. So
0: I guess what that means is, you know, we're not going to be doing any kind of like separate episodes or anything like that. And I think the podcast is going to remain mostly the same, but we just wanted to give you a heads up on like this like content shift that we're testing out and likely will prove more permanent just to see how it works for us, works for you. If we if we feel like we're leaving something on the table, then we'll address it.
2: Yes. And at the end of the day, we're testing to make sure that this helps make the show better actually better rather than thinking that we need to squeeze more into the shows to make them good we think being a little bit more concise will do us good and the listeners good as well yeah but what's the actual topic of this show stanislav this episode is 10 hot takes about magic the gathering now
1: and forever
0: do we actually have 10 takes yeah, I think, there's, I think there's 10 there's ten bullet points, ten, but
1: some of them have some bullets. There's 10 topics. This is a, a smorgasbord episode. We've got a lot of things, little things we want to talk about. Yeah, was, and big things. One of them 10, actually ten includes, reasonable takes. Yeah. One of them includes kind of a break, breakdown. So if you're really upset about us not covering an, an event, it's coming. Don't worry.
0: Yeah. This was going to be my breakdown. Now it's just a bullet point
2: in the dive down. So that's right. We're going to talk about 10... Topics, including cards, including decks, including formats, including tournaments, everything in between. You're going to love it. I'm not even going to tease what some of them are beyond what I just said, (laughs) but you can look at the show notes to get timestamps and get a sense for them that way. Oh, yeah. We spoil ourselves, don't we? Before we jump into it, let's do some quick housekeeping. We got three new patrons this week Anders B., Dane S., and Kyle A. Thank you, thank you, thank you all for joining the nation. As well as we'll see of Barrister and Man, whom you all have heard about frequently now. We'll see one up a tier. For some reason, giving us more money. Thank you, Will. We'll we'll take it. Thank you, Will, for the products and the support. We'll talk more about Barrister and Man a little bit later. And we even
1: got a couple new reviews. I love new reviews. These are hilarious reviews to me. (laughs) Can we start with the second one, please? Do it. So the second review we got from Max D in the United States, five stars. The subject is Great Listen, and it says, always listening on my dog walks. I don't even play Modern and Pioneer, but I can't get enough of the host chemistry. Always makes me laugh and makes my dogs laugh. (laughs) (laughs) If we make one dog laugh, the entire podcast was worth it. We've made more than one dog laugh in these 338 hours. I'm positive about that.
0: And we also have a review from uh, Rosie the goalie in Canada. It's perfect, and uh, you know I think hockey's popular up there. I've heard. Uh, you know, thanks for liking our voice, listening on the way to school and work and to sleep. You know, just lull. I think your voice, Dave, is the smooth, sultry voice that lulls
1: people to sleep, much like uh, saffron olive. The, text, the uh, su- subject of this review is MTG meets ASMR. Uh, as someone who also listens to podcasts to fall asleep, I appreciate it. I could never imagine hearing, listening to myself doing that, but um, I certainly appreciate how important that can be for people getting their, their rest at bedtime. So. Thank you very
0: much. I've definitely fallen asleep listening to you, Dave. Uh, Stan mentioned the Patreon. We have new citizens of the Dive Down Nation. If you'd like to join the nation, get your papers, get that passport stamped, head on over to patreon.com slash Down. You uh, can get access to the Discord for a buck. You get access to cooler stuff up some tiers. Uh, I just sent out about 20 packages. I've got about 20 more going out as soon as we get some more copies of the card, the dive down in, and then I think we'll be caught up. So I apologize for the the delay in getting the swag out, but I'm hopeful that soon everyone's going to have... what they paid for and what they're hoping to get. And I'm amped to get that all out. We'll have the deck boxes coming soon. Stan uh, is the holder of all of our awesome playmats that Dave designed. If you're at three weeks for eight bucks, you get a custom Patreon only, citizen only playmat that will never be sold outside of the Patreon. We have, like we mentioned, the deck boxes that are, what, three weeks at five bucks, something like that. And if you ever are at five bucks, you don't have to be there forever. Then you can get that, all that kind of cool stuff. We appreciate all of you in the nation. And if you'd like to keep us going, then head on over to patreon.com slash the dive down.
2: Sweet. So, gentlemen, we've been playing a lot of magic. We've been buying we cards.
0: That's
2: right. That's right. Traders makes it possible for us to do these episodes each and every week. We want to talk about some of our experiences across formats, both in
1: testing and maybe even as consumers of magic cards. We're just trying to have some summer fun right now. And I think we're going to start with some thoughts on Pioneer. What's going on in Pioneer right now? Oh, sure. We're going to jump all over the place. This isn't going to be the only Pioneer
2: topic. This is just the first Pioneer topic.
1: Yeah. Although there and there are modern topics coming and other topics as well. But um yeah, Shane, why don't we dive in with your first thought?
0: Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's translate some of these playing experiences and some points of conversation, which is what I exist for to talk to you to about magic and complain. And this is actually not a complaint, but the first point of conversation, I think, is all about expressive iteration. And I think the fundamental is that it's hard to replace in Pioneer, but maybe not impossible to replace in Pioneer. So first off, let's talk about perhaps...
1: Is a Prowess? Would you like to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say, there's no replacing a card as good as Expressive Iteration. No, there is not. It was in so many decks, it was did so many different things, does as much, almost, in Modern as it does in Pioneer, but we do think we have stuff to say about all the Is It decks that used to be playing Expressive Iteration in Pioneer, at least, and have some words of consolation for the people who like those decks. Really, it's there's just no replacing Heartbreak. Anyone
2: who had their first boyfriend or girlfriend in high school or college that inevitably ended, perhaps, you know what it's like to long for something as meaningful to you as a card-like expressive iteration. That's what I'm feeling right now.
1: Yeah. I think you were a bit more heartbroken about this than the rest of <laughs> us. Yeah. I'm kind of like, I was surprised that the card got banned, but then I was like, oh, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. hmm Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I was heartbroken
2: is cuz like the only thing I liked doing in pioneer involved casting expressive
1: iteration. Right. And we're going to yeah. talk about that more later too. Yeah.
0: But. All right, let's talk about uh the deck that Dave and I had just been getting into and that's as a prowess and the long and short of my point is reckless impulse isn't expressive iteration, but does that always matter? And I think in this deck you know, it kind of depends. But uh, what I did is I play tested a recent winning is it prowl list that essentially just replaced expressive iteration with reckless impulse, which seems to be kind of the general concept of these lists since the banning of EI. And if you don't remember, reckless impulse is from Crimson Vow, and it's just a one on the red sorcery, exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards and you may remember that we thought this card had some appeal It's effectively just to light up the stage. That's always one in the red. It can never be R. It can never be 2R. It's just splitting the difference. And medium floor,
1: potentially medium high ceiling, right? Yeah. And And, I've I've certainly spent some time playing this card, but mostly, I've mostly played it modern, actually, because it still gets uh, some space in the Boros Prowess list that I have tried in the past and uh, that kind of stuff as well. So I think in this deck, in
0: Is It Prowess, like it's, it's doing what you want, right? Like I think you want to trigger prowess before combat. You want to connive off of your Ledger Shredder pre-combat. And then as you progress into the mid and late game, it's giving you a spell trigger, letting you see a couple cards that you can work with how and when you need. But I mean, of course, there's no benefit, effectively no benefit to this card over expressive iteration besides like the really loose potential that you just are stuck on blue mana. And you, you, you know, can cast this if you have two red. You, know, you only see two cards, you don't see three. One thing I think is a bit under kind of appreciated is that your opponent sees both cards instead of just one, so like they have more information about what you can cast, so you can't surprise them with like some kind of interaction from hand or like a prowess trigger
1: uh, out of your hand or something like that. And the other thing is, you get access to the cards for longer. So, with Expressive Iteration, the Exile card, you have to cast that turn or lose it. With Reckless Impulse, you get to cast it, can cast one of the spells, and then have access to the other spell yeah. on subsequent turns. Now, I would never say that it's better. It's not as efficient a card as, as uh, Expressive Iteration is. But that is something to keep in mind when you're playing it, as you have additional time to use them. That's a good point. Didn't think about that. It makes it a little better on turn two. That, yeah. You can you cast it on turn two. And if you have to, for some reason, you can cast it on turn three more easily and not worry about losing both of the cards. You know, you can have access to one and then go for it from there. Right on. And in Is It Prowess, I found the card plenty
0: useful. Like, it, it dragged me to some wins versus decks like Azorius Control that I don't think I would have won otherwise. Of course, I did draw 12 cards off of four Treasure Cruises that match. I guess Ancestral Recall can be okay. Uh, I mean, so, Dave have or Stan, have any of you been touching, like, is it Prowess or Prowessy decks that are trying to slot in this card? Not, not in pioneer sense. This happened. No word. What are your experiences with it in in modern, Dave? Like, what do you think about it? Since we are talking about the card right now,
1: I think it's a totally good tool in modern. It's something that is um, worth the mana. You know, Mickey from our Discord and I had a long conversation about it when it came out, about what's better, light up the stage or this or whatever. I think it depends on the shell a lot, and um, I think that in a deck where you want access to this effect. Sometimes in modern right now, it's best to just play both of them. You play four Reckless Impulse and four Light Up the Stage and just really <laughs> lean into the card card draw, basically. Yeah. I think it's a card that's totally okay in modern as a piece. It's not going to be in a ton of decks, but I think it's a useful tool to have access to. And I'm thrilled that, I, that it's potentially enough to make Is It Prowess still good. Yeah, for sure. But there are more Is It decks that got touched and
0: affected by the expressive iteration ban, And those are, is it control and is it Phoenix and Stan, you're kind of our, is it control player? What have you been thinking about?
2: Yeah. So my first inclination there was just to see if I could one for one replace expressive iteration with some card, just like take those four slots and replace them with another card draw spell and, and the card that I was testing out at first was Frantic Inventory. You guys remember this card, Frantic Inventory?
0: Yeah, it's a classic, right? It's
1: like draws a card for each one that's in your graveyard type thing. Yes, it's a reprint. It's a uh, twist on a card called Ancestral Knowledge. It's an Ancestral Knowledge effect. That's right. This is a an, an instant for one in a blue. Draw a card, then draw card's equal to the number of
2: cards named Frantic Inventory in your graveyard. And I tested it for... The obvious reason of like, it's just another card draw that scales pretty well, especially later in the game, if you're finding a lot of them and, and could potentially scale well in games where you're getting through your deck very frequently, which there's a control piles we're good at to begin with because they're already playing for opt and for
1: consider. Yeah, I'm sorry. The card's actually called accumulated knowledge. My bad. It's not ancestral knowledge. I'm sorry. Take away my old magic player card. Yeah, yeah, you accumulate the the knowledge,
0: Dave. Yes. Yes. In your graveyard. Yes. Apology accepted.
2: I gotta tell you, I was within a league, I realized that frantic inventory ain't it. It's not the truth. Not the truth, but, but I learned a lot not only about it, but it but I actually feel like I learned a lot about expressive iteration in the process too. So you know, the appeals of frantic inventory is that it's instant speed, you can play it on turn two, and it scales, but that scaling isn't as consistent. Like iteration, always does the same thing. And even though iteration gets better the later you play it, you don't necessarily need to play multiple iteration for the first one to be decent. And the first frantic inventory is just like low floor. Yeah, it's, you don't feel good. <laughs> you only yeah. feel good about the first one if you're already holding the second one. But
1: even then, or if like, you've like discarded the. F- the the true first one
2: yeah and and the control decks don't really have ledger shredder or any other things to make discarding it easy
1: i just think that card has been on the bubble in for a long time people have wanted to be good they've wanted to be good in pioneer i just think it's not it's not at the rate where it's really handy unfortunately
0: stan i've been seeing people running like literal anticipate yeah like look at three draw one And But the rest of the bottom of your library for like one in a blue, which seems like just not a replacement.
2: Yeah. And and I think that kind of gets to the thing I hinted at about learning more about why iteration was so powerful and and really so important. And the thing that I really unlocked was something that Todd Anderson said on um, what I think was the most recent MTG Rants episode, which is... The thing that made iteration so powerful is that it just made sure you always hit your land drops. And having a spell that's not only getting you through your deck, but also making sure that your resources are sound is just essentially unprecedented. The closest things we see to that are what you were talking about with um, Reckless Impulse and and to some extent Led at the stage, but those require setup, right? So I kind of got to the point where it's like, If I'm trying to replace expressive iteration, I think two of those four cards should just be lands Mm. so that you're drawing those lands naturally more frequently and you're hitting your land drops. What's good though about this theory, I think, is that lands are so good now that they can also be utility lands. So if you're flooding out a little bit, like it could be, you know, a land that has an effect either on the board or, you know, does something else meaningful.
1: Yeah. How many lands does, is a control run? Like before, do you remember how many it ran before when iteration was there? I think it was
2: down to 22. Okay. Yeah. I think um, it it was between 21 and 23 and I think it was on the lower end. Um, And I got to the point where I was just playing like 23 or 24.
1: Yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense. Just, you know, having enough lands in a control deck is huge. And like you said, you can run a, um Odawara and a Soken Zen, and then there you go. Exactly, yeah. And, and and the last point I wanted to make is like, you don't necessarily have to replace
2: those cantrips with other cantrips. You can replace them with other interactive spells as well. And that's one of the other things that makes, is the control so appealing, is that it can have a flexible inter, uh, interaction suite to deal with different metagame forces. Right now it's got a lot of really good red burn-based removal spells, so I just got to the point where I'm playing Thing in the Ice and set with two extra lands and two extra spell pierce. So I could actually interact with the um, the stack a little bit better than it was already capable of doing since it was running no main deck counter spells prior.
0: Yeah, I think it's slightly important to remember that even in an is it based control deck, it's not like you need to be cantripping through your deck just to find cards. Like remember when Faithful Mending came out? and everyone, or that was previewed, and everyone was like, this is just going to be an Azorius control because, like, it gains life and gives you, like, card selection and stuff like that. And it's just so easy to run. And, like, that never happened.
1: Yeah. Because,
0: like, you don't just need to dig through your deck because you're a control deck. You have to have a, you know, you typically want to have some reason to be playing a cantrip like that. Like, whether it's just a cheap spell
1: to trigger, is it like, Phoenix or something like that, so... And speaking of as a Phoenix, right? Speaking of a deck that does want to cantrip through its deck, let's talk about Phoenix. So I've actually been playing some Phoenix lately. Uh, I don't know why I just, well, I do know why. So I saw that um, Sam Rolfe, known as Phil, Phil Helmuth online, uh, I think got, came in ninth in a Pioneer Challenge with a list uh, the other day, and I was just like, Looks sweet. Let's try it out. So I loaded it up, and um, the the big switch that's going on here, we talked about it a little bit last week, is that instead of expressive iteration, we're back to strategic planning as a four of, which is the take a look at three, put one in your hand, put the other two in your graveyard. And um, I don't know, the deck felt sweet. It's been the first time in a while that I've tried to play Phoenix in Pioneer. Um, I just really felt like, you know, even though the deck is kind of nerfed at this point, it's still doing well. And Treasure Cruise is still awesome. You don't even have to run, you know, you're only running three of those. Basically, Ledger Shredder is just such a good card, I think, as a secondary threat to Phoenix that the deck feels really tight, you know, and all you have to do is just draw through your deck and eventually you get to your win cons. You know, this deck is not really about aggroing out Phoenixes. It's not It's not about that kind of thing. I think in a, in some ways, you know, pre-board less so, but post-board you can become kind of a mid-range deck almost or a control deck a lot of times these decks go to control but this one is more got removal on the side and stuff like fable the mirror breaker as opposed to um, a bunch of extra control spells like Planeswalkers walkers or something like that um and i i just the deck just felt really good to me and i like this list in particular because it has that more mid-range plan rather than a control plan and a couple of cards that i was really impressed with of course Uh, You know, strategic planning is fine. I think it's a good part of the engine. But the cards that are really awesome to me to play with are Fable of the Mirror Breaker out of the side, I think is great. I I accidentally actually registered a 62-card deck for the league that I'm in right now where I'm playing uh, two Fables. And, And 13 sideboard cards? Yeah, 13 sideboard cards, two Fables main, and it's actually felt great every time I drew Fable. And I'm like, Maybe fable should just be main and move some something else to the side instead like I don't, I don't know for sure, but um, that card has been fantastic. I, it's let me do things like be able to you know draw into extra Phoenixes and discard them, have something that helps me ramp. Uh, if people have already used their removal on like Ledger Shredder, for example, or tried to kill some phoenixes to buy some time, and then I go Fable, that's pretty nice. And then I had one great game the other night where um, somebody tapped out against me when I had uh, the reflection of the Mirror Breaker on the board, and then I played a then I played a clack, crackling Drake, then I lava axed their graveyard trespasser to have to dis- get three cards in the yard, and I hit them for nineteen with my crackling with a copy of the crackling Drake from. From my uh, reflection, the mirror breaker in one turn. It's things like that that make you want to play Magic, right? I mean, that was a great moment for me. I was like, yes.
2: And and I'm guessing the copy also draws a card, so you recouped some of the card disadvantage that happened from attacking or you know trying to remove the trespasser.
1: Definitely, but I, I didn't care. I, I, I my Cause you just won on the spot. It didn't matter. Well, yeah, exactly. My crackling Drake. I was sitting there. My crackling Drake in my hand had four, fourteen. Power And they were at 19 life. And I was like, okay, how can I get five more instants and sorceries into my graveyard and drop this and have enough mana? So I had to do some like negative value stuff at the end of their turn. Then when my turn came, got the extra three cards in, got it up there and swung in. Um it was fun. I, I, I'm enjoying Phoenix. It's not about turboing Phoenix; is out. It's about kind of like controlling the board, getting Ledger Shredder up, trying to get some damage yes. in, drawing a lot of cards, and then doing you know then getting Phoenix out later. It's been it's been it's nev- thinking about it's that a, way a, it's an Inevitability deck, right? Yeah, and also Galvanic Iteration has been amazing. It's a bonkers card. I mean, it's been wild to play Fork. Like I can't remember. That's I mean, it's just Fork. Like, I, <laughs> it's got flashback. Like, that was a card that we thought was broken when I played, you know, originally. And, you know, we've gone up and down on how much a Twin Cast or whatever Reverberate is really worth. But having one that you can use and then use again when you have a bigger spell has been fantastic, especially to be able to draw six cards off a Treasure Cruise or take two turns off a Temporal Trespass. Like, that stuff is a real legit plan. So, I, I don't know. I've been enjoying it. It was enough for me to go out and buy all the Pioneer Lands that I needed to be able to have this deck, which I, I didn't have all the red, uh, red blue lands yet. So nice. Love and Phoenix. All right. Well, that definitely
0: will be our longest. I think of our 10, 10 topics about magic, the gathering, let's head it into number two. Why don't we? And I, this isn't getting mostly about pioneer. And I think that my, my take is Mono green devotion is really good. Even without Nick And, Everyone who plays Pioneer knows that this deck is like one of, if not the best in the format right now, and you have to have a game plan against it, or you have to be able to tech against it. And one of the most powerful cards, of course, is Nykthos, which can generate just a huge amount of mana. And it really, what it does is it snowballs your existing board state into something that's insurmountable. So it lets you press your advantage in a completely unique way. So you know the
2: reason we're talking about the deck is fine even without Nykthos, is for two reasons, right? One is Nykthos is not an explorer yet, and two, sometimes you don't draw it.
0: Yeah, sometimes you don't draw it. And three, it's potentially on the ban list, or it's potentially on like on the, the band watch, watch list, list right, right? Right. And so, I'm I'm I think people are just saying that Nykthos is likely one of the top cards on like the short list for future bans. And what I've been finding in my recent testing is like. Unless the deck is teched to beat you, you're frequently just fine without having access to Nykthos. And look, I'm not saying that Nykthos isn't necessary or that the ban wouldn't hurt it because that's an absurd take. But what I'm saying is that in this window of Pioneer, of the metagame, just ramping to big green spells and then having access to Karn is
1: just a potent strategy, even without the ultra ramp of Nykthos. Yeah. And Mostly, what you're saying is that the reason that that's good is because Monoda isn't there to punish you for really dawdling around with ramping. Essentially, yeah. like that's that's the takeaway, right? Yeah,
0: and I think what there's some future bullet points where it's like I think we have we're identifying more opportunities for closing this window. Like, the, this window of the Pioneer metagame, I think, is closing quickly. Like, we're seeing stuff like Mono Blue Spirits that I know is a, is a topic that we'll hit, you know, that had six decks in the top 32 of the challenge on Saturday, which tied Mono Green Devotion with six, and they both had two in the top eight. So this is something that I think is kind of gunning for Mono Green Devotion and other decks, of course. But, like, what's the reason that I think this deck works is that you get, in Pioneer, you get access to Eight one mana elves. You get hard to interact with ramp at two with like Sylvan Carrietta and Wolf of Haven. And you just are casting all of these powerful threats ahead of curve, which is always something you want to be doing. And I think Karn the Great Creator is just as powerful as ever, right? Like you're just able to frustrate the opponent for as little as zero mana with like a Tormod's Crypt or a God Pharaoh statue at six. And when I was playing this weekend, I just, I never had a single Nykthos in a bunch of games that I played and won. Like, Hmm. and because the normal strategy was just just so, was just so strong. It's just so good. Like, unless people are disrupting you or maybe having like a a well-timed sweeper or something like that. So one of the things that felt really good, even like mulling to five was like against Rakdos, which is still a popular deck in the format and it's just, you know, you eventually just go over the top and you outvalue what they're doing at the same spot on the curve. Like even your 4-4 four, four for three is better than their 3-3 three, three for three. And just all that kind of stuff just adds up over time. And then And as you get to the point where you are getting to your giant collected company uh, and and giving, you know, getting two for ones, things like that, they just sort of run out of the interaction they need to stop what you're doing. You know, I, I just felt like I played against like an artifact-based aggressive deck, which is not like some kind of top-tier deck in the format. I remember that one because just like as soon as I get a Karn the Great Crater down, the game's essentially over because I have some kind of blockers and I have Karn and we're good to go. Yeah. Because of his static or because of the value or both? Because of the static, 100%. Yeah. And then like, you know, you're able to do stuff like against other mid-range decks where even if you're not casting a Storm of the Festival, you just protect Karn and then you get a Skyboat and then you take care of all their
1: X3s because, again, everything they have is X3 and you're able (laughs) to just eat it alive. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. It's probably good for people to know when they're planning their strategies against this deck that it doesn't really hinge on destroying Nykthos or keeping them from generating extra mana from nycthos via something like dampening sphere right like they they can still do stuff
0: yeah i mean i had someone bring in damping sphere against me and it you know didn't do anything like even yeah. your wolf of Low havens tap for mana right so it's just like yeah cool thanks for casting that card that doesn't do anything right might hurt them more depending on what their game plan is but one of the issues that i have had i mentioned was mono blue spirits and that's been a frustrating matchup and especially in the powered down explorer format like if you're trying to do ramp and explore you're going to have a tough time against spirits uh, just cuz it's timing your development out tempoing you and that's a deck
1: that you've been playing right Dave yeah so i think that if people hate mono green devotion you know with that kind of new best deck kind of passion i think that people's hate of mono blue spirits is not far behind
2: well okay hold on can we talk about those two decks the way they're communicating with one another. We're about to, yeah. On the, on the battlefield. Yeah, because I, I, so I feel like the reason mono blue is trending up right now is because it's so good against mono green, because mono green is just like it's vulnerable to counter magic. It doesn't really have tools against counter magic.
1: Yeah, I think it's two things. So for the record, we're moving on to our third topic here, everybody. If you're keeping track, which is mono blue spirits and pioneer. Um, I think it's a bit of both. Like, Certainly part of the reason that it is popular is because it has a really good matchup against Monogreen Devotion. I also think Winota being gone, Spirits had a pretty tough time. Spirits wasn't fast enough to close against Winota either, so having the format be um, accessible to a deck that is good, but not quite as as speedy as it, that's still an assertive deck, has been helpful to that deck just by not being around anymore as, as well, too. So I think it's a bit of both. But I do think that the fact that Mono Green being popular is a bigger reason for Spirits being popular than than just it being a generally good deck. And it does have a good game plan against it because it has cheap counters that they can't really afford to wait to be able to, to cast into. And you can make them use their mana in ways that are not advantageous to them. I mean, the thing that it doesn't have, Mono Blue Spirits does not have a way to interact with like ramp creatures. Basically, it doesn't have a way to interact with, like a, um, you know, can't really kill a Lanowar Elf all that easily, for example. But you can just kind of ignore it and kind of do your game plan. The other thing is that Mono Blue Spirits game plan relies doesn't rely on, but the card advantage engine that's in the Mono Blue Spirits deck is susceptible to creature removal, and there's not a ton of creature removal main deck uh, in in Mono Green. Sp- devotion either. So if you get your curious obsession online, then you're probably going to draw a whole bunch of cards and then just bury them with the counter spells that you're drawing.
0: Yeah, that's the real issue. I mean, mono green is in, lives in such fear of mono blue spirits that like it's typically playing like two or three sky lashers these days, which is just like a 2/2 two, two flash for 2 that has breach and pro blue and can't be countered. So, like, I mean, there's some other... I mean, of course, it does well against, like, Ledger Shredder and potentially, like, uh, Crackling Drake or uh, the little the little dragon thing, Sprite Dragon. But, like, you know, largely, I think this is
1: just, like, I need to hedge against this, the up-and-coming Spirits deck. Yeah. And I do think that that actually is a problem for Spirits, yeah. In my estimation. So I I love the spirits deck. I think that it's been interesting to see people starting to innovate on the form a little bit more. You know, blue spirits is a thing. We saw some Bant spirits here and there over the last couple of weeks. You know, Stan, Stan asked about that last time about, you know, is Coco a good plan? Some people are having some success with it. You're also seeing some people who are playing Azorius spirits right now, where really all that they're doing is adding Spell Queller to the mix and uh, Imperial Eagle, so that you have extra lords. So basically, you're trying to make your creatures... Uh, have more creatures that you can attack with, even if it makes your disruption worse, because Spell Queller is worse disruption than uh, Geiselite, Snare, or Mana Beak, or any of uh, or those kind of spells that you want to have access to, too. Um, but it does make you maybe be able to close games faster. And so if people are starting to play anti-blue disruption, maybe you're better off doing that. It also gives you access to some white sideboard cards, I noticed. Um, I think the problem... Overall with spirits is that it's the sideboard cards that you really have no way to interact with. Like spirits has very few ways to interact with a resolved creature. If you yeah. have a resolved creature that has um, that has protection from blue and there's decent ones in Pioneer, there's uh, Cerat- what's, Crashing Ceratops, there's Skylasher that Shane just talked about. There's a couple of other options that are in this space. You know, if people start bringing those cards in or start having them in their sideboards, it's really hard for blue to be able to do anything about them. So, you know, if you if you're not way ahead when someone plays Cat Crashing Ceratops, you kind of just die. Yeah,
2: and it's interesting that you sh- you should mention Spirit's problem with resolved creatures because I think that's something the two decks have in common, and that's one right. of the reasons why blue can run away with the game against green because sometimes all blue needs to get ahead is just have one flyer to turn on all of their conditional counter magic yeah right like guyslight snares always uh, pay four but you don't want to have to pay three for that effect you really want to just pay two or yeah. it's actually one it's pay three
1: is what it is oh, so sure, guyslight sure, snares is sure. pay three uh beak is is pay four but you know that one always costs two yeah. So I, I do think that spirits is good, but I think that when spirits is becoming so much of the meta, it's actually pretty easy to be hated out by the yes. decks that want to be able to get around it because it's plan is sort of fragile. And so I, I, I do think that it's not a deck that I'm interested in playing a ton right now. I did a couple leagues with it over the weekend. I went five and five. Wasn't great. I know a lot of people are doing great with it right now, but it feels like in the leagues, we might be on our way down a little bit and there might be some other answers that we need to find to uh to both mono green and what a good kind of tempo disruptive deck is for the moment but as soon as people stop playing as much you know ghosts are going to pop back out when you're when you at least expect it kind of
0: like when you turn your back on uh boo the ghost
1: and mario right yeah exactly so creepy i really don't like that thing so why why do you think people hate mono blue spirits though I think some people just hate playing against it. No one ever has had a spell countered and thought to themselves,
2: "Yeah, I feel I feel fine about that." Yeah, that seems great. But like that was a, that was a fun experience. For me. I, I love bad? when I
0: cast something for four mana and my opponent counters it for one mana because they always have Curious Obsession on a flyer and yeah. then <laughs> guy Snare and then guy yeah. Light Snare.
2: It, it's not so much that people hate spirits. I think people just hate. Playing against counterspells, it's why like you'll go to the tournament practice room sometimes on Moto, and there'll be like those comments <laughs> that are like, "No counterspells, no planeswalkers, no black discard, no coloring black discard. is not, you know, coloring is not
0: drawing." I mean, I think it's it's more than just the counterspells too. It's just the fact that because the much of the deck operates at flash, and you yeah. have the ability to give everything flash when you have a Rattle Chains out, then you just are putting up a lot of stuff, like you always feel like you're using all of your mana and then the opponent has to uh, to deal with like the false tempo or like legitimate real tempo that's gained from just you presenting the option to have counter spells. And then when you're drawing cards with curious obsession, you just always assume that the drawing exactly what they need because they they always are.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that the rattle chains is such a big part of it too because you can feel like you have a board that's doing nothing and you're just holding up counter spells where you're like, I have a Mausoleum Wanderer and a Rattle Chains. And then you get to the end of one turn where, you know, either the person not playing spirits is really low on cards or whatever. And the Spirits person decides to go, okay, I'm gonna play uh two Supreme Phantoms on the end of this turn and or two Mausoleum Wanderers, and then I'm gonna drop Supreme Phantom, Supreme Phantom next turn and just swing in for like twelve in the air that can feel like it comes out of nowhere sometimes too which um is what's good about the deck and honestly i don't think that that deck works at all without battle chains really it's so so good yeah
2: as long as we're on the topic can we talk about one more pioneer deck in this pioneer bonanza
1: yeah
0: that was uh what i was hoping and we're going on to point number four and that is that i think humans might be underexplored in pioneer and I'm seeing a number of humans lists pop up in league dumps and elsewhere. This weekend on Saturday, Max Attack took a bant list to sixth place in the challenge. Uh, and what these decks seem to be wanting to do is a lot of what other humans decks do in other formats, which is flood the board, cheap, efficient humans that have some kind of you know frustration element with like Thalia of Thraben or Reflector Mage, and then they can sort of just beat down or they're keeping you off of your game plan and really stress your removal. And Extraction Specialist is a newer card that is showing itself to be versatile and cool. It works well with cards like Charming Prince, gets back stuff like Thalia's Lieutenant or Char- another Charming Prince itself. Uh, you know, there's a lot of variations of this deck. There's mono-white versions that are really low to the ground, they're playing like some cheap interaction like Declaration Stone and some really sort of wide protection like Brave the Elements or Obzon versions that go up a little bit higher on the curve. Like they're doing like Archon of Emeria, Sky Apparition, Elite Spellbinder, you know, hand disruption-y, board disruption-y type stuff. I've even seen ones with have like the Wasteland Strangler to process away the exile cards into like Oblivion. And
1: then removing something on the battlefield for more value. Uh, wow, that's a that's a that's a new one. That's very that reminiscent tech. of yeah of old. I mean, it's reminiscent of the old Eldrazian taxes kind of thing.
0: Like I think what decks like these can do is a couple of things. They can threaten the mono blue decks. I think, because they can go wide and tall enough to match the board presence and race them. And so, like, you can't just be swinging in with all of your spirits and then have the humans crack back. And I think that they have enough disruption and aggression to also threaten mono green, especially with cards like Reflector Mage. Because, like, if you bounce a big green fatty and they're not able to recast it the next turn, then they might not have another thing to cast sometimes. Like if you're if you're kind of relying on like a single a Cavalier
1: of Thorns and it gets bounced, you're not that happy about it. Yeah, I will say I've had pretty good luck on spirits against these humans decks so far. Now, I don't know if that's, you know, it's not really empirical evidence, but I will say that the fact that they, they don't have a ton of ways to deal with flyers in the main deck. So makes you think you're just racing them typically? Yeah, and you can sort of like bounce one thing and your counter spells can counter creatures and addition spells, which is helpful too. And so you do a little bit of that and then suddenly they're behind and kind of off you go. But post-board, it's a lot more difficult. Yeah,
0: like I think one thing that these decks are able to do is have a pretty flexible board plan, even though they might not run a lot of colors. Like you can tech against green with things like Brutal Cathar, which takes advantage again of green's relative lack of interaction, where it's like, I just Brutal Cathar and that card might be gone for the rest of the game. Or like I've even seen Valorous Dance, which is a a classic card that can remove creatures with four or more toughness or give a creature indestructible, I believe is the other mode for like one and a white. And yeah, so I think it's just, there's just options that these decks have. And I wouldn't be surprised to see more of like these aggro disruptive decks continue to increase in popularity, especially if that they're determining that they're able to stress these up and coming decks in the format in some way especially if mono green is able to remain you know 15 to 20 percent of of the competitive meta game or something like that i'll tell you i
2: hope that humans gets more popular because that's like the exact type of matchup i want to see to whip out is it control because
0: yeah like anger of the gods or something like that or
2: yeah but even like just like the one mana red spells they're just like either flame blessed bolt is fine but the uh, the name is escaping me, but the one that has spell mastery and it hits a creature for, for three. If you have two other instances and in sorceries, like it's on the back of those very impulse that I've had. Thank you. Yeah. So it's on the back of those spells that I've had decent success against the Mono yeah. blue decks. And it's just like, give me as many creatures as possible because if it's not thing in the ice that deals with them, it's going to be like this cheap removal.
0: Yeah. I'm not saying this is like some new, you know, S tier scourge of the format, but I'm I'm saying like I think if you want to play a creature based deck like this that isn't spirits, like if you want to be doing more human-y type aggression and like on the on the ground versus in the air, I think there's some options here to be checking out, and it might be worth digging through some leagues and and even some challenge data to see what is piquing your interest.
2: I think it would be a lot cooler if it was S tier.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe it is. It's should like we, it's like Ryu in Street Fighter Two.
2: We should totally just start calling Mortex S tier, whether whether or not they are. Maybe I'll start doing that in this episode.
0: I don't feel really comfortable using the term S tier because I was never the type of game. Like when I was playing games, S tier didn't exist. Okay, the concept of S tier was created by millennials, <laughs> and you and I'm barely one of those. And so, I like that was created by Super Smash Brothers. I mean, yeah. I mean, I never played Smash
1: Brothers. That's a millennial game. I was playing Street Fighter Two and Tekken Three, my friend. But I was anyway. competing for quarters at Ms. Pac-Man, my friends. <laughs> I don't know where you, where you were, Shane, but...
0: So, I think we covered a lot of Pioneer, and I think it's probably time for
1: the modern chapter, right? Or no? Actually, we should bring up one of our other topics here, which Ooh. is which is topic number eight. I'm going to promote to here because we are just about finished with Pioneer. And I guess my question is... Oh, yeah, this one. I've been really enjoying Pioneer lately. Why? <laughs> <laughs> explain yourself i think it's because you found a deck a deck you need you need at least a deck you found but a let, deck well listen i here here's the here's the premise of this point stan doesn't like pioneer and i don't understand why i don't understand why he doesn't like it now i have a lot of decks that i've been enjoying pioneer lately i like boros prowess i like phoenix i like mono blue spirits i like Rakdos mid-range i've Liked all of those different decks so far. Now I'm not going to run out and, you know, rent Monogreen Devotion unless we do a dive down about it or something. But I, there's a lot of different decks that I've enjoyed because of the, the gameplay with those. And um, I think Shane is sometimes in the same boat. And I, I'm just surprised that you're not enjoying similar things, Stan.
2: Well, that's because I think the gameplay is actually
0: bad. Bad. I feel and- like this is this is magic. Like I feel like. Did you play a lot of like other formats before you got into modern? Like I know you like limited and stuff like that. You used to play I standard
2: little, too. Oh I, yeah, I played a lot of standard.
0: I feel like if you like standard, this is just this is literally just standard. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's why <laughs> it's bad.
2: Like I, I'm telling you, the thing that I experience more often than not when I play a Pioneer League is that like I've had standard formats that were more fun than this, and and more than anything, it just feels like the meta game is like barely more diverse than some of the standard formats that I've I've experienced and that's what really bothers me is that it's just like the selection of cards is so narrow um and and the selection of non-creature spells is just like so underpowered that I I, I can get this experience from like a, a standard format what's the point of playing pioneer especially when like the cards that I like that actually like show like a hint of power End up getting banned. Yeah. Like, expressive iteration is just a highly efficient spell. It's not like some overpowered combo piece. It's not a, a removal check that like forces deck building. It was just like really good at making other decks function more consistently. And that being too strong for the format is the type of condition that I'm not interested in participating in.
0: Yeah. Like, I think we're in agreement on a lot of this, which is like, I like Pioneer quite a bit. And my primary issue with the format is what I've said before, which is like you have like a decent number of decks that are doing things that you're used to in other formats or they're similar to each other, right? Like the aggro decks do creature swarm with some interaction because the, all the direct damage spells kind of stink. Like there's no burn deck. There's like a mid-range deck and a slightly bigger mid-range deck that work like every other mid-range deck you've ever played ever. Like there's the green ramp deck. The control decks play like control decks. Combo has largely been banned out of the format. We have like we still have Lotus fields around, and there's like a, only a couple, I think, interesting and decent novelty decks, like if you want to call them that, like Sacrifice and Greasefang, which have their own unique access and generate their advantage using like slightly different engines than the rest of the format. And then like what you said, Stan, it really made me think it was like. Compare this to, like, con standard, which is what some people consider, like, kind of an all-time great standard.
2: Yeah. Like... That was the format that got me into standard. It was, yeah, like, and like, a gold standard. Yes, it's you, amazing. You
1: too? Yeah. Okay. I thought you were not around for cons. Okay. Like, I, I was getting in toward the
0: end of cons. Yeah, which is, like, a good time. Because, like, that's yeah. even more variety than the beginning of cons,
1: I think. Like, the... Shane is like is about to tell us that we should be pining for Siege Rhino mirrors. Is yeah. that what you're you're about no, to say? Like, if you really look at the data,
0: like Siege Rhino mirrors were not like the bulk of the gameplay. Like the, That's there was true. a there was a smaller card pool, and there was actually I think more ways to play the game of Magic in the Standard set. And,
2: and I think you're speaking to something that is unintuitive, which is that it's not uncommon for smaller pools to generate more diversity.
0: Yeah. Cause like the powerful cards sort of crowd and, and ideas will crowd out like kind of weird niche cards. Like a card I always think about when I think about con standard was uh whip of Aribos. And so whip of Erebos was like this black artifact that would, could, would basically like snag a creature out of the graveyard and C D
1: Rhino. It yeah, grabbed well, Rhino. Yeah, like
0: it did eventually become it went from CDC whip to like four color whip with Rhino because why not? And uh and so like that was just a card that is on zero people's radar right now because it just doesn't there's no reason to be playing a deck with Whip of Erebos, but because it could occupy a certain space in the metagame. People were able to use a cool piece of tech like that to play a deck that legitimately could be one of the best in the format, depending compared, compared you know, depending on how the the rotation uh, of of decks inside the format were doing. And like you know, we just had decks like Jeskai Tempo that could be controlling or aggressive or Gruul monsters, which is just like your Stompy deck, or like. Different kinds of Obs on midrange or Obs on aggro, or like Mardu midrange or Mardu planeswalkers. And you had like Demir Control with like Pearl Lake Ancient as your closer. And you had a combo deck and like Jeskai Ascendancy and heroic decks, which were like, you know, aggressive, annoying combo creature decks and like red aggro decks of various flavors, like where you could maybe be making a bunch of goblin tokens that are tapping for your uh, Stoke the Flames. That didn't exist then. Oh, it did. no no. that was like that was like right after that was like fate reforged i think but like the these are there's just those are nine decks that i could like literally were good decks like they weren't just like oh some jank and
2: then out of nowhere someone like seagrist will show up to a gp and spike the whole thing within soul when no one saw that deck coming at all
1: yeah that's like the what was that m15 yeah that was that was um that was a little earlier than konse thinker. No, that was after because after. I, hadn't was after. T- I was not playing and I saw that yeah. PT. Yeah. But
0: like so my argument here is like there's nine decks from standard that played I think pretty differently and had ability to be tuned to be different and had legitimately like strong reasons to be played over another deck in that rotation and like pioneer is like format with way more cards and has like 10 pretty good decks to select from right now. But effectively, it doesn't even feel like they're as tunable or as malleable. They're, like, extremely solved. They're extremely stable. People aren't tweaking them anywhere near as often as they are in, like, a standard format. And, like, it's just, you're kind of just doing what you did in, like, seven years ago. And I think on top of that, the power level delta
2: between some of the decks and just, like, the rest of the iceberg makes it pretty insurmountable. So if you're trying to do something interesting, you will occasionally just have to resign to like losing to mono green and hoping you play any other matches. Yeah. Mono green being like a gatekeeper. In my my opinion, just like far and away the best deck in the format right now makes it unlikely that you're going to get to dodge it all that frequently.
0: Yeah. And so like one thing I do agree with you too, is like modern
1: lets you. Whoa, 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 whoa. What are you, what are you agreeing with the two of us on? (laughs) No, well, the thing, the <laughs> like, this that is you about say, me and Stan disagreeing no, well, about the, something. Like, well, what you say in previous episodes, I'm
0: saying, is like modern is just so different than what Pioneer or any other format offers. Like You're able to do more different things because of the card pool, because of the curation of the format, um, and that's just kind of what modern's about. Like Modern's about doing stronger things that can play off each other in different ways, and sometimes they're not the ways that you want. But it's at least more interesting than a rehash of the same concepts that Magic has had for decades. Wow,
1: you guys are really yucking my yum here right well, now.
0: Well, no, what, what I want to say is that... Like, Dude, all I this played is, was
1: Pioneer this week.
2: This is just my... And I mostly played Pioneer this week. But th- this is my subjective experience. and And I want to be very clear about that. That's just like, given some options in Magic, I would just prefer to do something else is anything we're saying resonating with you or are you just having like the, the opposite subjective experience, which is like true or not. I'm just having fun with, with this format and the, and the cards and decks that I'm playing with and against.
0: And I think you yeah. can't have fun.
1: Oh, that was a question. I, for I know, me. but I'm just,
0: I'm just saying I'm before you even go, I think you can't, this, this is not
1: me saying this is not fun and that you should not be having fun. Mm, okay. I'm glad you got that out there. Now I won't, <laughs> my fun lawyer won't see you. <laughs> a couple of things i really think you over overvalue the diversity of con standard like i don't <laughs> think it was i don't think it was all these decks were not that good they they really weren't but but they really it, none I, of the I, decks I, I were that, that good i'm not gonna we're not gonna re-legislate 2015 or whatever that was 2014 but um they weren't all that good um the I I do think that, yeah, I'm just having the opposite subjective experience. I think the big thing is like, it's kind of a nice break from modern for me. Sometimes playing, playing modern feels like my job, you know, and this is kind of a new thing. And also I am liking not like, I, I see what's coming in pioneer more easily, even for all the, the matches and rounds of modern that I, that I play, everything is so efficient in modern that sometimes it's kind of like oh you're just going to get hammered by whatever card your opponent plays and that doesn't happen quite as much in pioneer i feel like right now at least i have a couple of times where i can interact or i can do things you know simple card advantage plays work out a little bit better in pioneer i think than they do in modern sometimes i don't know i'm enjoying the slightly slower pace i guess is what it is no i'm there with you on that too which is like i don't i don't like losing
0: effectively losing on like turn or even earlier sometimes in modern, right? Where it's like, I do feel like we can develop into a game plan. I just wish that... Hold on. I just wish that they had not banned combo out of existence so aggressively, honestly.
2: We were just talking about how, like, Mono Green can play a card
1: that Mono Blue will never beat. And multiple cards. Like, these, like... It can go around it. It can can go around. Yeah, but that's because that deck is actually not that good. Mono Blue. (laughs) unfortunately <laughs> like I love that deck but when there's too much of it but that's the thing it's a meta game shift there and yeah but there there's cards like that, that in there's cards like that in modern too so to be like sure, oh yeah you're never gonna recover like from- that
2: are punishing the most degenerate strategies like if someone is doing like a force of negation or a surgical or test of talents against like a cascade deck that's because of the cascade decks are doing something a little too powerful and they need to have like these surgical answers When you have a surgical answer against a totally fair, like board based, like mid rangey
1: aggro deck in Pioneer, that to me feels horrible. Yeah. I still think that there's time that you can close a game out, though. Sometimes where if they play it too late, if they you know I I just think there's more time to do stuff, which I am enjoying right now. That's that's what I'm mostly saying about Pioneer. Good. Yeah. It's just to be enjoyed. I, I, I love seeing you happy, Dave. Like
2: <laughs> the way the corners of your eyes crease a little bit when you're smiling. Like it's <laughs> just it's it's very cute.
1: Yeah. I mean I'm not down on modern. it, it is kind of like I'm tired of people talking about four color, which we're gonna do in a minute too. Can't wait. But um it's just feels like there's a lot of new stuff to play with. And I like playing in a format where uh Fable of uh Fable the Mirror Breaker is good and in lots of things and yada yada yada. So
0: all right. You guys wanna take a quick break? Uh, We can get into the old smell commercial, and uh, then we'll come back and finish up with some uh, more takes on magic. Hey, guys. Yo, Shane. So I just wanted to, let's, you know, we're, we're of course, in part brought to you by Barrister and Man, fine purveyor. Of shaving soaps, body soaps, scents, shaving lotions, all that kind of good stuff to make you feel good, smell good, enjoy life in general. And I wanted to talk about my kind of my scent of the week. The one that I actually wanted to talk to you about was was Flora. Unfortunately, Pasta Flora looks like it's sold out for the season. So I'm going to talk to you about something that I love almost as much as Pasta Flora, and that is Waves. Okay. And so this is just a commercial for Waves. Waves is Dope, because it is a... Is this just a commercial for Oceans? Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm.
2: Well, I thought you meant the band, that like Chill Wave band from yeah.
1: 2008. Chill Wave? You know what's yeah, chill funny? Wave. It's right now. King of the Beach. <laughs> <laughs> They're good. I've seen them live. Dude. Uh, with the sun, with my eye, I'm gonna burn my eyes out. Alright, get out us, Waves. Love Waves, get at us.
0: Uh, so anyway, uh, Waves... I love Waves. Waves is like this amazing sort of like light aquatic it's you know almost like a cologne type smell i think you know the, the shaving soap is great but then that kind of goes away but i think the killer part of the waves combo is the aftershave, and it's like the aftershave splash and that is very cologne-like without being overpowered at all it kind of fades somewhat quickly what's wild about the aftershave we talked about this a couple of weeks ago stan is like usually aftershave just kind of hurts your skin Right. And I what I love mm-hmm. about Barrister and Man, what Will's doing over there is it feels good on your face. Like it feels like it's toning, it feels like it's, you know, calming, it's moisturizing. And that is just a great aspect for something after you have shaved where it's like somehow I'm smelling good and it's not hurting my face and it's making my, me feel better. So anyway, uh that's what I would recommend, if you wanted to check something out new, you haven't purchased Waves before, you kind of like an aquatic scent, go over to Barrister and Man, M A check out the selection of smells there. Uh, if you don't want Waves, there's certainly something else for you, and you can use coupon code The Dive Down fifteen for fifteen percent off your first order. Thanks.
2: So that was a whole hour almost of Pioneer material, and it was great and exciting. Let's talk a little bit about Modern. Dave, you said we don't have a breakdown, but you have a section that is Breakdown-esque for us. Was there an important Modern event over the weekend that you wanted to mention?
1: There was the Season 1 Magic Online Championship Series. The MOX or Showcase or whatever the S stands for there was this weekend. This was the final of it, where they have eight people play against each other in Vintage Cube and in an eight-person pod for Constructed. The format was modern. The
0: weirdest format ever. Like the, the, it the is two, weird. The two 3Os make it to the finals.
1: Yeah. And the coolest thing about it, though, is that these people love to metagame against each other because they're all almost always well-known magic online grinders. I'm not going to go through every player. I'm very sorry about that. Uh, the two players who were in the finals were X Whale. Uh, Will Kruger local to Chicago, and also Sauce, Tom White, who I believe lives in the UK. Um, but I did want to talk, a, it was a small field, but I thought that there were some interesting things that we could talk about and maybe learn a little bit about uh, modern right now. Uh, there were four, four-color decks out of the eight pilots. Four people brought that. There were two Traverse the Ullenwald builds with main deck Emrakul. So those are decks that I think are looking for the right pl- piece at the right time, to uh, metagame against four color as well there was one version that was a little bit more down the middle uh, as you would expect four color with uh, ella damry's call and then one of the risen reef models so there was a full-on elementals version or what i guess we would call a full-on elementals version one of the most interesting things i saw in relation to this was someone on reddit best best in wpb don't know them super well but they kind of put a point on something that I've been thinking a lot about lately, which is, you know, we've been talking lately. Four-Color is the best deck for any given weekend over 16 people, and it's not close. In my opinion, Four-Color is just one engine, Red and Six, to Teferi Omnath, plus Solitude, and a second engine of your choice for the Mirror-slash-Non-Mirror. Think Risen Reef, Ephemerate, etc. It's all the same deck, you're just choosing a different matchup spread. And I think that is kind of what's going on with with four color, you know, we've looked at lists over the last three or four weeks and gone, well, I wonder why this person's trying, you know, why is Risen Reef back suddenly? And then it, why was one group of people a couple weeks ago playing bring to light with scapeshift as an option in their four color deck? And then why are some people sticking with uh, the stock list and starting to put things like Emrakul Promised to end in it's all because they're trying to metagame against each other. And so this is kind of what's going on in four color right now is the tech where people are trying to level up on top of each other to exploit the other four-color pilots. Um, Which is especially something you want to be doing in an eight-person tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with people that you know, and maybe you know their tendencies. I do think that there's probably a better chance to do well if you figure out what everybody's going to be playing and pick something that does better. And so I think that what the other two two people brought, or other four people brought, broke down into two lists, and I thought that this was interesting. So the people who decided not to play the quote-unquote best deck, or attacked version of the quote-unquote best deck, they decided not to play Four-Color in Modern. Two people decided to play Titan Shift, including X whale who was one of the finalists, and the other two people decided to play Grixis, Ledger, Shredder, which is basically Shadow, with uh, Ledger Shredder instead. Uh, not instead, but in addition to, to Shadow. Uh, and McWinsauce, who was one of the other finalists, was piloting that into it. And I believe that McWinsauce was the 3 0 coming out of the pod. So Grixis Ledger, Ledger Shredder was the 3 0. So what do you think? Interesting choices. Were you surprised that those two showed up? Titan, Wish, Shift? I, I think the,
0: the guess that no one would bring Murktide... Is kind of astute, where it's like, yeah, Murktide's like a good deck, but four color likely gives people better play and better chance to sort of maybe tune the four color to out tech the other four, uh, the other four colors, and so just kind of going from the outside being like, I want to dodge Murktide, I'm going to stomp four color and bring Titan Shift seems pretty astute to me.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting that there's been this people have been asking where's the combo deck that was helping keep four color down for a while. For a long time, people felt like Belcher was helping keep four color down for a while. And, um, that sort of disappeared. I think in some part people think it's because of Poseidon, but also because it's on counter. It's an uncounterable trigger basically. And so if they have it, you're dead, but the, um, I think that there's a chance that there's some new combo deck out there that does some kind of uninteractive, unfair stuff. Now, maybe it's not Titan Shift with Wish because that's too susceptible to a broader metagame. And in fact, Will Kruger said on Twitter that he wouldn't even play this deck in an, an open field tournament because it's so susceptible to counter spells out of things like Murktide and and things like that. I mean... Andre Mangucci did five o with it today and was super excited about it on Twitter after doing so. And so I don't know, maybe maybe oh, people
2: are- former world champion Andre yeah. Mengucci did well yeah. with the
1: deck. Huh? Did well with it and was excited about it. <laughs> oh, you don't I love his excited life. Yeah. Everything's great. Um, the so I do think twofold. So one is I think you're gonna see people trying this deck out in leagues. So keep an eye out for it because that is what people are likely to do is pick up something that was popular and kind of off meta, even if it's bad for a little bit. But the other thing is there might be a combo answer out there. That's good in a broader meta game that can help keep four colored down, I guess, without, without having to ban something, without having to do something else in the format, like we talked about last week. You know, I don't know if there's a cascade deck, perhaps that might be better against it. I've seen people talking about that. I've seen people talking about, uh indomitable creativity starting to be good against four color as well again um maybe there's some options that we haven't thought about that are still possible to to arise
2: but wasn't your initial point about how all these four color decks are the same but you just adjust a handful of cards to determine your matchup spread doesn't that challenge what you're also saying in terms of like maybe there's a combo deck that can deal with it because um, I, I think i don't know maybe because i think if you're playing a 80 card urian deck That has like, you know, four or five of the strongest cards in the format, period, and then can play any other cards in practically any colors, like, you'll find an answer.
1: Yeah, probably. I also think that a lot of those moves are about each other. They're about trying to pick what everybody else is on and having the better version of the version of four color that beats four color is almost as important to those people now as the other rogue decks. But yeah, probably.
0: And I also think, like, one of the real issues. Is that isn't is Murktide just kind of can control a bunch of the decks that four color can't? And so, like, having a deck that is rogue or combo-y or something like that, that can take care of both those decks, seems like the real challenge, right? Seems like a format-defining strategy.
1: Right. Yeah. I don't know, Maybe we take expressive iteration away from both of them and see how happy they are. Let's do it. Dave, um, Dave. <laughs> do me a favor. Shut We're not bringing up. that up yet. Yeah. Alright, so the other deck that I thought was interesting was Shadow, which we've talked about a number of times, but both of these both of the pilots who had it uh, Man MTG, and McWinsauce had uh, lists that were close to each other, but McWinsauce even went even farther into metaing his deck. And he played... One interesting thing was Like, a week before the tournament, he posted on Twitter and said, I played this 75 that's so strong and played. (laughs) Mulligan to five every game in three rounds. I don't know how people play this deck. My submission for the Mox is in two days, and I'm lost. I don't know what to do. And then he ended up registering Shadow and won with it, basically. Won the the Swiss part, anyway. x Whale actually won the tournament. But um, the thing that was interesting about what happened with this deck is, first off, Tom was playing two Turok's main, which was fascinating, I think. And of course, that's a meta choice made just for a small meta where you expect a bunch of four C because it's one of the best cards against four color. <laughs> so moving Terminate to the side in order to have one of your best threats in the main, I think makes a ton of sense. Not a move I would recommend trying for for wide tournaments, unless you really want to try one Turok or something like that. But I think that the deck's probably going to be better with your Termin- Terminate's main or at least one Terminate main. So when you, you don't die to uh, game one, Merktide every time. So I wouldn't try that part. The other thing that's super interesting is that there's no Inquisition of Kozalax in these decks anymore. It's just four Thoughtseize for Hand Disruption. Oh, and that's it. And I think some of that has to do with the discussion that's been going around lately. Michael Rapp wrote an article about how Thoughtseize and Discard is kind of bad in modern right now because the cards are too good. I think it's starting to bear out in the decks that used to run a lot of them, they're not anymore. Yeah, I,
2: like I can almost understand playing Grixis for some of the black cards, but I'm I'm looking at Tom White's deck and like the Thoughtseys are just glaring at me. Yeah, like, I I like the Drown in the Lock. I like the Croak said. Definitely love the Turok Like, but playing Thoughtseys against the deck that's just going to like cast an Omnath. Like, what's the point?
1: I don't it, get the, it. the the only point is to enable Death Shadow to get bigger faster. Okay. That's it. If gotcha, it did, gotcha, if you didn't gotcha. lose two life from it, you wouldn't play it anymore.
2: I see. Make, yeah. make, but why
1: not just play Street Wraith? Good question. Maybe, maybe you could. Uh, I well, some of it has to do with Gigantha being better than Street Wraith. And you can't play mm-hmm. Street Wraith and have Gigantha. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. that that's certainly a question. Checks but that out. I that's the only reason. And then the last thing that I thought was super interesting about his list, and this is like the dumbest little thing. Is on Twitter afterwards. Tom said, Hey, you know, it was Sol Strong's idea. He coached me a little bit, got me prepared for this tournament. He said, Let's put Turok main. But he said, My deck also has 20 lands in it. And people who play <laughs> people who play Death Shadow with 18 lands, I don't know how you do it. Don't do that. And um, I love that actually, because God, there's been so many times i am playing Shadow where I'm just like, We're at 18 lands now. Oh, we're at 17 lands now. We're just going lower and lower. He was just like, no. Wow, i I going back to twenty. Let's do it this way. He ended up cutting a one Croxa and one DRS even for it. Dragon's Rage Channeler, and I think it's probably fine. DRC Dave, DRC, and you just yeah, really want DRS. you just really want Death Rage Shaman, don't you? I do. I just keep saying that. <laughs> yeah, isn't Channeler a Shaman? Is Channeler at least a it is type a shaman. human Shaman? Well, it see. Is that's a shaman. me off. Too. There you go.
2: I I mean this is another case where like those extra lands can be fiery islets right like you can use a utility land that can give you a little extra velocity or help enable your death shadow too
1: yeah when when whenever they finish this cycle those those horizon land cycle and we get the red black one shadows going to change its mana base completely because that's that's what you really want it's the the red black horizon land essentially but so i thought that was interesting to see some little tweaks there uh and Stan, you've been playing some modern, though. Oh yes. So
2: I've been playing two different combo decks, and these are what points seven and eight. I'll just kind of transition between them. Combo combo deck? You wouldn't say combo decks might be good right now. Mm, I didn't. Weird. I didn't say that they were good yet. I said might. Okay. I yeah. said might. Alright, so the first one I tried was um, Calibrated Blast. I had mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I had faced off against it when I was on uh, I was doing a league with blue White Control. Got paired up against Calibrated Blast. Was, like, embarrassed by it. Like, it just wrecked me, and I was like, this deck is good. Why aren't more people playing Calibrated Blast? It's 3-mana deal 15, and then 5-mana deal 15 again. And it I realized that uh hey it's not that simple. So calibrated Blast was not as impressive as I thought it was once I actually played with it. The biggest issue for me was that blue eye control might actually be its like best matchup and my experience was maybe colored a little bit by that relationship but when I was playing in a field with hand disruption um a murktide which is just like full of counter magic along with like really good threats hand disruption. And and, and then also like the cascade decks that have living or uh force of negation. Those ended up being a huge problem. In fact, my first match when I fired up a calibrated blast league was against living end, which, you know, front of the show, Kilgore trout, which has been on this, who's been on this deck as well. Kind of warned me, like beware of the cascade decks because of force of negation. Like I saw that immediately, just force of negation exiling the spell felt like a huge setback and cascade being such a significant pull of the format right now made me feel like calibrated blast isn't necessarily going to exploit a meta game, so to speak at least not in its current build i'll also say that um, calibrated blast can sometimes whiff right so like it's three three mana find a card deal damage based on the card cmc Sometimes your Calibrated Blast will just find another Calibrated Blast and then you're paying three to deal three to your opponent and then you feel like you are losing forever. You almost
1: certainly are losing forever and at that point, yeah. You should just the, drop from the league. <laughs> the other thing to say real, real quick too, just so people remember, Force Negation exiles the spell that it counters, right? right? The reason that's extra big for Calibrated Blast is because Calibrated Blast has flashback. Thank you. And so often if you get countered when you're playing Calibrated Blast, you get a chance to do it again yeah
2: and and also like if they force of negation the throws of chaos that hurts too because throws of chaos has a retrace so like sometimes you feel like you've got a nice leg up because you're just gonna start pitching your lands this deck has 38 lands so just you'll keep pitching lands to throws of chaos but if if they hit it with force then you can't do that either yeah yeah and to make matters worse the plan b is kind of crappy one of the interesting things about this deck, like not only is it running a ton of lands, it's running enough triumphs that it can play Cyan of Draco. And we'll just sometimes like you can cast your Draco for two, three or four mana. Um, But then it's just like a four, four flyer. And that's not necessarily great in most matchups because you can't really protect that four, four flyer. So once that's answered, you aren't really doing anything. And oftentimes you're just drawing a ton of lands and, it feels like unless you have a really strong opener, um you can't necessarily rely on the top of your deck to to win you games,
1: yeah, you're not casting shadow mortality really either, are you? I don't think so. I don't think so, usually because
2: like one shadow of mortality is castable because your life total is low enough, you're so far behind that whoever you're playing against can usually close out the game before just like a vanilla seven seven can do anything meaningful
1: does anything yeah
2: absolutely yeah. The, the neatest thing about this deck i will say that like i didn't actually appreciate until i played with it is the desert cards and just like being able to play um uh the desert sun uh, sunscorched desert because like at etvs it pings your opponent for one like playing a few of those and and then some ramenap ruins Makes it feel like you can just dome your opponent for 15 off of a Calibrator Blast, and then your deserts will do the rest of the damage. Right. That's a little bit of Christmas land, but I think that's the thinking for playing all these desert cards in this deck.
1: absolutely. You're trying to get damage from wherever you can. Trying to get that last five damage from wherever you can, basically. Exactly. Now, on the other hand,
2: next point. I played a different combo deck with a different Modern Horizons 2 card that no one really talks about. The card is Glimpse of Tomorrow. The deck is something that uh, Ryan Duncan tweeted about over the weekend. This is a Elementals Cascade combo deck with Glimpse of Tomorrow. No. No. It's an absolute abomination.
1: This is a pretty big update from a, the deck that's been floating around for a while, right? Like they swapped out some cards, put in some yeah. more expensive cards in a card in a deck that was kind of fringy, and now we're suddenly like, "Oh, okay,
2: yeah, and, and when you say expensive, you mean dollars, not mana value correct, yeah, money and and, and the reason they're more expensive is because they're they're good castable, playable cards to begin with, right so what this deck is doing is it's trying to create a lot of permanence on the board. To set up a glimpse of tomorrow, for those who don't remember, it's a suspend sorcery, it has no mana cost, suspend three, red, red, shuffle all permanents you own into your library that includes lands, then reveal that many cards from the top of your library, put all non aura permanents revealed this way onto the battlefield. End of line. So, what this deck does is like you play cards like Colony Garden to make some zero ones, you play cards like Wave Sifter to make some uh, clue tokens. You play Risen Reef just to like have velocity, um, and then eventually you cast the glimpse of tomorrow. Either you can suspend it. I never did. Mm. Ideally, you're cascading into it off of your four violent outburst or your four Shardless agent, and then you're you know playing whatever the next like six, eight, ten cards at the top of your library are. This deck, unlike the previous one I mentioned, is nuts i don't know if it's like the new elementals deck or the new cascade deck but this actually just like felt powerful out of the box for me because risen reef plus omnath plus like whatever other elementals you happen to cast and in this case it's usually like fury or endurances you just like create an insane board presence um and then usually just like run over your opponent because your Omnaths either gained you enough life to, to cushion you against your opponent's plan, burned your opponents with for four damage enough times, drew you some cards, let you cast all these extra cards that you're drawing off of your Risen Reefs too, and then like some 3-3 three, three Double Strikers or, or, or some 3-2 um, Flying Wave Sifters will usually just do the trick. I don't know. I thought this deck was insane. Ryan tweeted that he, that he went 10-0 in leagues with it. Oh, by the way, Dave, it plays... fable of the mirror breaker. Oh yeah, I saw. Wonderful. Yeah, I played a lot of practice matches, and then I started a league. I haven't finished the league yet, but I'm two and one in that league. So nice. We've almost we've almost paid for paid for it.
1: Just a little bit sooner, you
2: can get the burrito soon. Yeah, I mean, like we don't talk about practice room as as reasonable, like practice beyond just knowing what a deck can do. With its cards, but um, I was undefeated there. And then nice. once I went to the league, like I, I actually faced some real competition, but then I also beat some real competition. So I think this is just like a fun way to play Omnath and Elementals without feeling like you're doing like the stupid Teferi Ren and Six Urian stuff that, from what I hear, isn't even that fun to play with.
1: You want to know something funny? I, I have this deck except for Violent Out outburst and two
0: caverns being reprinted David
1: yeah I know but I have everything every other card in this deck already that would be maybe maybe this will be the cascade deck that I have since I don't have any cascade deck so yeah I'm excited to finish this league and you know I just like I'm not
2: a big combo player, I think you guys know, but every once in a while I like trying out like a new random combo deck. You play rhinos, that's a combo deck.
1: You've been pretty into Cascade the last few months. You were playing Living End, you've been playing Rhinos, you're playing this. Like I think I, I think you're having a moment. I'm not gonna say that I think of you as a combo player, but I think you're having a moment in modern at least. I just always love trying combo decks
2: because I want to see like when something Actually, good rolls around, and I also like understanding when and how combo decks are punished and and what they're vulnerable to. Because like eventually, a new Splinter 12, Twin deck is going to come around. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, you know, this I, is why you I, don't
2: like
0: pioneers, Dan.
2: You want to do oh, stuff like this, de- yeah? But I hate all the combo decks, and like, I never enjoyed Inverter. I never enjoyed Lotus Field. Like, Storm slash Lotus Field decks. Actually, I I find really mentally taxing like i don't want to actually cast 10 or 20 spells in a turn i just want to cast like three or four spells every turn Yeah, that's a good amount that
1: make that make 30 permanents
2: that's what you want well in in this case you cast one spell and then you make 30 permanents and you're just like managing your triggers like that's the craziest thing about this this last deck that i mentioned the the glimpse deck is just like you'll sometimes like flip a bunch of colony garden tokens and a bunch of clue tokens and then you'll produce 30 risen reef triggers because you flip into a few of them and several other elementals and then you just like right. auto yielding <laughs> as many as you can.
1: Right. Yeah this you is were, I mean you, you mentioned Jason uh this is another deck that Jason plays a lot. He he really loves these kind of fringeish but powerful um combo decks and modern like hipster decks. <laughs> yeah, they are kind of hipster decks, and I, I, you know, I think he really, he really liked this one too, and so it's interesting to see it start to get a little bit more attention from, you know, Don, G, Ryan Donkin, well-known player, was really known for playing a lot of Adnaws mm-hmm. for a while,
2: mm-hmm.
1: a very successful Adnaws player. All right, last catego- last couple categories to talk about. Too quick. So number nine. It's been one year since Modern Horizons two came out. It's been.
0: One years one year since, since, two came out. since
1: 2 came out. <laughs> I don't know if we're gonna, if, if we're, we're, we might go back and do a retrospective about, like, how much Modern has changed since Modern Horizons 2, while. something like that, but I did want to talk about one thing, I you know what, since I've been home, I can't do anything, um, I have been sorting a bunch of cards and managing my collection lately, I have this system where you know I have cards that are logged into Goldfish that I'm keeping track of. They're in my collection. They're in boxes. They're in order, so I can always find them, blah, 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 blah. And then I have boxes that just have the other stuff in them. And so what I've been doing a little bit is going through and finding cards that really shouldn't be in the collection anymore because they're not played anymore, and I'm moving them into my kind of like just other stuff that I'll find someday if I have to, but I'm not going to worry about it if I can't ever find them. Two cards that I moved out of here that made me sad <laughs> in part because of modern horizons too, but also just because I think modern is passed and by and they're not going to get played anywhere else. The first one was burst lightning, which is just a card that used to come up sometimes. Cool card, you know, it's a shock or if you pay that kicker cost it, you know, it's a four damage spell instead. No big deal. It is what it is. But the one that really kind of broke my heart was moving my playset of magmatic sinkhole mm. from modern horizons one out and into my bulk area, basically, because there's no way that card is ever coming back. <laughs> it's never coming back, thanks to unholy heat. Unholy heat is just so much, so 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 much better. And I wanted to know: Do you have any fringe but beloved cards that you that were good and modern that aren't anymore?
0: You ever, you ever hear of some cards like called like Stinkweed Amp and Golgari You know, Thug and Creeping Chill and. Oh, wait, that's just the entire deck of of dredge. And like every time I unsleeve or like, excuse me, I I uh, un-box like a deck and it's just like, well, there goes humans. There goes dredge back into the the boxes of cards. I feel,
1: you know, like I've got to pour one out. Yeah, fair. Although dredge still comes up, (sighs) maybe humans someday. I mean, you we'll know. get some Thalia decks again, but we'll see. I don't think they're ever going to be
0: like at the power level without some new printings, of course. But even then, just like you know, who knows? Yeah, but I, yeah. this is definitely like a sore point for me. Like, it's 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 just sad to see like a card that you felt was doing something novel. Like usually, it's like a common or an uncommon that has like certain power level, and then like just gets replaced whole cloth or is no longer even like part of a viable strategy.
1: Yeah. Stan, anything come to mind for your, your pet cards? Uh Snapcaster Mage. Oh jeez. Dark Confidant. <laughs> Too real.
2: Yeah. Bob's for Sale. Yeah. yeah, the the fact that Snapcaster Mage, like it's it's cute that um Waffle still plays in Blue Eye Control. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I wonder how much of that Yeah, like I wonder how much of that is just like Waffle being such an old school player and, and not wanting to give it up. It's still obviously a powerful card, but it's just like, I feel like the format has passed it by in, in such a significant way that. Now
1: you're you know, paying for
0: your spells? What are you doing?
1: Yeah. Right. It's, like, just, the, the, it's just not about interacting in the way that Snapcaster Mage enables. Yeah. That's, and, and that's what it is.
2: Part of that might also even be just like, because Lightning Bolt isn't what it used to be. Right. Huge also, part of also it. Also because of Unholy Heat, too. Right. But you know, Magmatic sinkhole. Like,
1: how significant was that card? Like, I mean, it was the best way for mono red decks or red heavy decks to be able to kill a planeswalker or for a cheap, drive. yeah, yeah, or a, a large creature. Yeah, not it, yeah. So, uh, I think it was a useful card. It was just setting the power level at a certain place, and we just blew right by right by it. You know. But that's uh, that's it. So RAP for a couple of cards. Uh, maybe we'll come back and talk more about. With charts and pivot tables, modern uh, MH2's impact. But that's all for now. And then, Stan, we have one one last thing that is sort of a promo for you, but maybe is uh, a bit of a a bit of a always be promoting.
2: Well. <laughs> always be promoting. So I was very uh, flattered to be invited to join someone else's stream. It's actually happening this week. By the time this episode comes out, um, the stream will have happened already, uh, on Wednesday night, Brainstorm Brewery invited me to be on their Wednesday night commander stream. How'd how'd you manage that? Someone nominated me on Twitter and I said, yes, I
1: want to do whatever. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Whatever
2: Brainstorm Brewery wants me to do, I will do it. That's that's what you say to those guys.
1: Within reason. Ray, if someone (laughs) asks if you're a god, say yes. Yeah. Don't, don't buy a bunch of copies of, uh, Seance or something like that, if they tell you to. But do go on their stream.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so, you know, for that reason, I polished up my go-to commander deck, which is a, a Grixis Wizards spell casting control deck with Cast Dissident Mage. And in polishing that deck, I actually realized that um, the Commander Legends Baldur's Gate set had some decent reprints that brought down the value of you name you guessed it commander cards and um i just wanted to give like a really quick shout out to cards like reflecting pool mm-hmm. um like that was an expensive card that's the balder's gate version is under ten dollars and uh reflecting pool occasionally sees modern play like it's a pretty good pickup right now um but even in terms of more commander specific cards like the luxury suite bountiful promenade the the cards that check how many opponents you have the battle bond duels yeah the battle bond duels yeah they they used to be pretty expensive um above 20 bucks now they're hovering like right around or even below 10 bucks so if you know if you're a commander player even an occasional commander player say you have one commander deck and you want to juice it up a little bit um with some better lands now's the time to pick those up if they were reprinted in uh, the Baldur's Gate set. Even stuff like Lightning Greaves, Harold's Horn, Mutavault, Skull Skullclamp, Jessica's Will, like these are commander staples that I just realized like now's actually a decent time to pick them up if if for some reason you don't have a copy of Skullclamp from all the commander precons that have come out <laughs> over the years.
1: Yeah. But the big thing here is go back and watch the stream if you can if you can see it on a on a VOD of Stan on brainstorm brewery playing commander how long are these
0: how long do these games go for are they fast what's the power level is it uh what's what's <laughs> we, level we is
1: it a, level zero the turn zero rules yeah we i'm haven't gonna had start conversation asking yet i'm gonna start asking people that when i show up to modern fnm so i'm gonna be like what what power level is your deck <laughs> mine's like a four mine's mine's uh, eight mine's eight whack my, is that my, cool my mental power level is also a four on in yeah. terms of modern play yeah, you, you, I only play. I only play red decks, red prowess. That's it.
2: Yeah. So I, I think if it's not on the the Twitch vod, um, it might end up on YouTube. Though I think YouTube is reserved for mostly the podcasts. So check out the Twitch vods. Ho- hopefully it'll be there after the fact. It looks like they keep all their videos there. Um, I'll tweet about it, of course. And got to tweet. You got to tweet. But to answer your question, how long these games go, I'm hoping they go long for the sake of just because I'm going to ask them a million questions about them as Magic players. Like, I'm kind (laughs) of, I'm just going to do like the bonus ep treatment just because I'm so fascinated with these guys that have been podcasting for so so long within Magic that I'm mostly just excited to like be in the same room with them. And the fact that I have to play Commander is. (laughs) <laughs> a pill, a pill that I will swallow.
0: Uh, speaking of Commander, I've been noticing as the spoilers for uh, Double Double Masters roll on that this is much less of a modern reprint set than I I originally hoped. Yes, and it is a Commander reprint set because Commander moves packs. Crazy. Remember when Double Masters came out and Tron was on sale? Yeah, like a bunch of stuff just was like we had like a whole episode about the an here's episode what to about buy. modern on sale I, yeah. I, I, I don't think we're gonna have that same kind of episode, maybe like a segment, but yeah. I don't think so. well, we'll see once we have the
2: full double master spoiler we'll we'll look at potentially doing a value up on that, but for now, I think that wraps up this week's episode an hour forty five we did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the final cut might even be under an hour 40 oh man let's get there let's let's hope this works if you haven't yet make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out if you use apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and review if you use spotify just a rating will do if you'd like to reach out to us submit a question get in touch in any way you can tweet us at the dive down all one word you can also email the dive down at gmail.com as always, you can support the show over on Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can even support the show while playing magic with a promo code, the dive down 15. Gets you 15% off your first two months of a mana traders rental account. Get better at magic by playing more combo decks. That's what I've been trying to do. You can also smell good while playing magic with some of the products over at Barrister and Man. Use that same promo code the Down 15 to get 15% off your first order from barrister and man. You're going to like the way you smell, I'm certain of it. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and record shorter podcast. <laughs>